Futurized goes beneath the trends to track the underlying forces of disruption in tech, policy, business models, social dynamics, and the environment. I'm your host, Trun Arne Unheim, futurist and author. In episode 72 of the podcast, the topic is the zero user interface experience. Our guest is Tuberk Duman, head of innovation at Futurist, the Finnish consultancy. In this conversation, we talk about why thinking about a world beyond the screen. The invisible user interface where natural gestures such as body movements, perhaps even, perhaps even thoughts, trigger interactions. Current examples making use of Alexa, Google Home, Siri, Cortana, or Google Glass. Experiments and trends in UI design and design thinking inspiration and components such as chatbots, biometrics, computer vision, and new ecosystem business model. Surprising industries that are the first adopters. And we discuss the next decade. What will happen next to zero UI and in which sequence? Tuberk, how are you today? I'm very good, Strand. Uh, how are you? I am doing well as well. I'm excited to talk about uh, zero user interfaces. Um, uh, Tuberk, you have a master's degree from Tampere University of Technology, and you've been interested, I think, in uh, in these uh, technologies for for a while. And now you work at Futurus um, as head of innovation. But uh, tell me a little bit about your path to taking a strong interest in, you know, in how technology shapes up. What, what was it that created this interest? Sure, sure. And uh, great to be here and discussing uh, this topic with you. Um, well, I mean, let me take a, a step back uh, before talking about my career in Tampere. I did my um, bachelor degree on electronics engineering, and uh, my graduation thesis was about uh, training facial recognition algorithm. And this was uh, around 2011, so way ahead of, you know, uh, facial recognition becoming a, a sort of commodity especially in consumer markets. So uh, that is uh, where I kind of uh, gathered some uh, interest and understanding of this kind of uh, technologies like facial recognition, biometrics technologies, how do they work and what are the caveats, uh, how can you um, basically utilize them in different contexts. So that was kind of the the, uh, the, the, the beginning of my story. And then once I moved to uh, Tampere for doing my uh, master's uh, degree on uh, um, business and technology management, yep. um, things uh, started to uh, have a little bit more consumer focus or uh, like application focus rather than engineering and research focus. And the the the, the, the very first interest um, in creating applications around this kind of technologies actually dates back to 2013, 2014, um, when a group of students from Tampere, including myself, actually uh, was involved developing the first ever uh, commercial Google Glass application in Finland. So I love this. I love that it started with a student project. I, yeah. I, it's, every time I ask people how they got into something, it, it, there's always an interesting background. And I love the fact that it was a student project. Yeah, I mean, that's what uh, Finland is, is great at, you know, putting... Uh, it's student put, putting the students, uh, you know, with the the uh, corporate collaboration, you, you know, right from the gate uh, during the studies, and this was a, uh, a specific university, academia, and and uh, corporate collaboration where a software consultancy in in, in Tampere was supporting us, basically creating a uh, Google Glass application for traffic wardens 
you know, those people who uh, make sure that, you know, parking tickets are paid or not. And the, the problem we're solving there was uh, the, the, the fact that it's a very lengthy process. I mean, they get into trouble, you know, while at it because the process is so long. They get into trouble. They uh, uh, catch up and uh, find themselves in, in arguments with the, with the angry drivers. Because there has been, uh, there's multiple stakeholders in this. There's the city, there's the technology providers, there's the, the, the online parking ticket providers, there's the machines that you see out there, and the, the, the paper tickets. So you need to make sure that you check all of these. And for each uh, operation, for each task, uh, they almost had a different device. So they had a smartphone to you know, write down your uh, 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 license plate. To, to see if you have paid or not. Then they had this, uh, I don't know, couple of kgs uh, mini PC in their pocket that they carry around all day long where they type all the details relating to the car. So uh, what is the license plate? Uh, what is the brand? What is the color? What is the address? So all these things they need to basically manually uh, input. And then they have a, a printer they carry uh, which basically prints the ticket and they leave it there. And this process take, uh, can take up to five minutes, basically. So what we have done was uh, basically used uh, computer vision and license plate recognition to uh, take a photo whenever there's a license plate in the, the, the field of view of the camera and automatically check it with the, the, uh, the, the parking ticket providers, online parking ticket providers, and uh, deliver the results uh, to the, uh, the traffic ward. So basically, if the ticket is uh, not uh, paid for, automatically uh, the system uh, directed the user to actually print uh, did the license plate and all these information that they needed to actually put input manually were derived were understood uh, from the the image that the, the the glass was taking. So the address came from the GPS, the the, the color of the car, the uh, license plate, the the model. These are all included in the image that we attached to the ticket itself. So all of a sudden, you end up with a process of seconds, you know, from a minutes to uh, a seconds and. When you are involved in that kind of transformation, when you see that happening before your eyes, your brain starts to wire in a different way. You start to seek this kind of, you know, where can I find something similar? Uh, this this process involvement, radical or even incremental innovation, where we can make the the, the life of these people better. So your your brain goes into that mode where like you start to have an eye for these kind of stuff, and that's uh, when. Basically, I remembered this old memory of mine where I did my, you know, thesis on facial recognition, and then I was like, okay, if we are able to recognize license plates, and you know, uh, make the process much faster, much more convenient for this group of people, where can we use facial recognition to recognize people and make their experience, you know, equally uh, convenient and seamless? And of course, the the the, the place probably everybody thinks. Um, more like the, the experiences uh, where we have like stress kind of embedded into it. Um, of course, airports and a traveling experience came to my mind first. And that's also coming from an old memory where uh, I was a, a part-time check-in agent at an Istanbul airport back in the day and uh, being involved in, you know, uh, checking people in and hearing their complaints all the time, how stressful and how long this process is. So kind of at that point, like, you know, putting the pieces of the puzzle together and actually coming up with a concept where um, the idea was like, why don't we uh, recognize, uh, let's start with the, actually the premium passengers. So the, the, the you know, the platinum uh, loyal customers of airlines. Why don't we recognize this group of people since we, airlines do know a lot about them and they are receptive for this kind of exclusive services. They actually 
there's a demand for it. So why don't we use the same idea to actually recognize this group of people? And then at the end of my studies, I send an email to Helsinki Airport. Um, actually, the, the group is called Finavia. Helsinki Airport is one airport in Finland that they uh, operate. And that's how I landed my uh, thesis position. So for 10 months, I actually investigated both technical and uh, business feasibility of, of this kind of concept being applied um, at, the, at the airport. And uh, at the end of the day, we delivered the thesis, the results were promising, and uh, um, the story goes that um, uh, at, the, at the time, Futurist uh, or Futurize uh, was the digital partner of, of Helsinki Airport and Finavia, and still is actually. So uh, they basically asked Futurize to, to hire me so that they could continue on the project. So that's uh, how I started at Futurize uh, back in the year 2016. And my like a first order of business was setting up a biometrics unit to explore more and more of these you know uh, human machine interaction technologies and how they're going to shape the future of it. Huh. This is fascinating because these are these are two fairly manual sort of frontline tasks that you know one might not have picked as the most obvious. Uh, you, I, not everyone would call these complicated uh, work, uh, you know, processes because it's not so visible. I guess in the airport, you, you sort of you're frustrated because you're waiting there with your luggage. But I don't think we, you know, necessarily all appreciate how complicated and how many tasks are involved in each of these two uh, sort of frontline service service jobs or or frontline kind of worker positions. So here's my question: Why? Uh, and you've obviously started answering in it with the, these two examples, but why think of a world beyond the screen? What is it that, I mean, you know, I'm sitting in front of three screens right now, I'm, you know, happily. Um, but I will admit I am also slightly frustrated with the screen. Um, so why think beyond the screen? And, and, you know, what is the prospect that we will move beyond the screen? Because it seems to me that we are in this digital age where there may be a, at least a transition period where it's going to be much more of the screen facing work, right? We are going to be fairly passively doing kind of digitization 1.0. We're going to be in front of these screens. So what do you say to that? And, you know, how realistic are, you know, beyond these smaller experiments, uh, you know, admittedly that you have done in kind of augmented reality, how far are we from taking large chunks uh, of work into the augmented realm where we don't need these screens anymore? Um, yeah, very good question. And actually, the, the, the continuation of the, my individual story partially uh, would answer that. And uh, let's start from there and then uh, expand a little bit. But um, as soon as I started uh, this, this biometrics business unit at, at the Futurist, after a couple of cases, like we continued working on uh, Finavia and Finair on what we call the, the walk-paced identification. Um, and then we created multiple uh, individual applications here and there, facial recognition payments, facial recognition smart vending machines using uh, all sorts of other elements of, of uh, computer vision in general. But uh, what we've realized is people are not interested in uh, biometrics per se. I mean, it, like in any technology, people are interested in the value proposition. What is it in it for me? What uh, part of my life it really um, enhances in a way? And that's when we actually like uh, started to see this pattern where um, what we are really interested in or what we are really seeking for, this, this actually this is not a new thing, but we are basically, especially in this era, uh, quite wired to, to uh, choose the path of least resistance. 
I guess that comes from uh, due to the fact that we're being bombarded with so much information from so many different channels. You know, technology was came to our life to make our lives better, and it did for sure in many ways. But also, it, it uh, basically brought all these, you know, noise that we have all the time around us. So um, what we realize is people are trying to uh, get away from it, or maybe even like shift the responsibility of. Uh, parsing that information, you know, shift the, shift that responsibility to the service provider or to whatever it is that they're interacting with, and that's when we realize that, that the paradigm shift we're looking at is not biometrics. It's what uh, we basically call the zero user interfaces, and then the name refers to here is that the fact that you don't need to actually interact with a physical interface like your screen. Um, for in order to be able to access the information or access the services and products uh, that you need. And this is not like something we at Futurist invented. I mean, many people, many companies have observed the same paradigm shift. Some people uh, named it as like beyond digital, ambient computing, con technology, as Google calls it. Yeah, so I mean, the... the um... Available technologies just in, in terms of chatbots, right? If you think about Alexa, Google Home, Siri, Cortana, um, those are, I guess, one instantiation of it, although arguably they haven't, you know, they're delivered fully on their promise. I mean, I w- was one of the beta users of all of these, um, but I mean, you know, beyond some very pedestrian use cases, you know, like alarms and, and, and stuff and, you know, the weather, super useful things. Uh, sometimes the recipe, although, you know, that hasn't really panned out so much because you still need the screen to, to see this thing. Um, what are some of the more interesting uh, kind of gesture-based or other types of in- interfaces that you uh, think have some promise? Um Sure, uh, I'll, I'll answer that. But uh, you made a good point in there. So we we have the chatbots, we have these voice assistants that you know try to touch us. That aspect of what we are talking about here. But um, I guess it's important to define what uh, like what constitutes a, a truly zero user interface experience in a way. So it has building blocks, and some of these individual technologies that you mentioned, chatbot or voice recognition, it addresses a part of, it makes that one single building block. But without the complementary part, it's not going to ever deliver the, the, the actual promise of what we're talking about here. So throughout our work, we basically uh, um, categorized like this, these building blocks under three categories. So the, the, the first one is the service or the product actually um, recognizes whom uh, they are serving to. So there's this recognition of the individual that the system is interacting with. And uh, nowadays, it's uh, still mostly hidden behind passwords and uh, you know traditional identification systems. So that's where, for example, the, the biometrics focus comes in. And biometrics is not the, of course, only technology that is able to do that intuitively, of course, but uh, it's one technology within that realm. The second part, um, the interaction part. And that is where, for example, likes of Alexa, uh, Google Home is heavily utilized. Uh, interacting with a service essentially should be as easy as you know grabbing a cup of coffee, as intuitive as uh, taking your uh, dog to walk or chatting with a friend. So that's why um, we see more and more applications of, of, of uh, Alexa and uh, Google Home around us. And the third part is the contextual intelligence. Think of this two things that I say. A, 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 
a grand door, a grand entrance to a palace. Without the palace itself, the entrance doesn't really mean anything. You know, it's just you go in, oh, okay, that was cool. And then you probably get back out. So that the palace is the contextual intelligence. So once we recognize the individual, and once we know how to intuitively deliver that information, it comes down to what we deliver and when. And that is the contextual intelligent part, which heavily relies on what kind of data we have, what data we have access to and will have access to, and how do we get insights out of it and turn it into some piece of actionable and needed information for the individual. Well, that's that. That's actually a very useful overview. Uh, so the question then is, you know, where where are we on 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 each of these uh, in 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 sort of uh, and and also larger question than that, uh, uh, you know, uh, Tupper. When when you think about these things, you know, a very fancy word for this is sort of we got to apply some design thinking to like really figure out what's going on. But but truly, how do you even just define which use cases uh, are ripe for this kind of disruption or simplification? Because I guess it's, you know, now you have defined what the components are. Yeah. But if you start trying to uh, simplify something where the technologist just isn't there yet on either of these three components, then you're in trouble. So you earlier talked about two, you know, pretty simple processes. And, and I'm sure... You know, if you fast forward several years later, they're not still fully implemented, right, in airports around the world, either of these, uh, you know, steps that you talked about for the check-in. And similarly, there are parking, uh, you know, wardens around the world who still, at least they have different elements of what you described. And they're they're not all kind of one-stop shop to to get this thing carried out. So, So how do you think about when you're, you know, thinking about new, uh, applications. Are you waiting for the end users to kind of come to you with that, or you know, how do you? What is the stepwise process to kind of identify these things? I mean, um, if you're ahead of the curve, and uh, in my line of work, uh, I usually am. Um, the, the the way it goes, and this is one of the aspects uh, which I love working at a consultancy. We can actually make hypotheses around technology. So we could actually uh, take one technology and try to figure out, you know, where it lands in terms of applications. And we have that luxury because we don't have a single context. We don't have a single scope. We work with companies in insurance, in navigation, in mobility. So uh, basically, we have the luxury to take any uh, technology and look into it, try to make sense of it, and come up with a concept that we are able to sell or um, experiment. Of course, that is. Um, uh, that's the starting point, that one of the enablers that we have. But the second part is, um, to answer your question, is, is, is technology maturity is an important uh, aspect. So um, one of the reasons why, for example, we don't see traffic wardens is are not, you know, uh, worldwide uh, equipped with, with the Google Glasses is the fact that, you know, the smart glass technology is not come to a uh, price point and then uh, robustness where, you know, we could reliably produce these applications anywhere and then uh, people are able to use it. So technology maturity plays another role. And the second part is, if you want to um, achieve a zero UI experience, especially in the... the, the uh, societal and business dynamics that we operated currently, and that is going to change and we will get to there, um, you need to look into uh, places where the ownership is not distributed. So this is very important. So uh, an, an anti-example to this, what we have actually done at the, the uh, 
Helsinki airport. So we created this walk-based identification experiment there, right? The idea was that we're testing a future where um, you as a passenger register yourself. Once you buy your check-in, you take a selfie. Uh, it is attached to your uh, um, itinerary and then you come to the airport and the checkpoints, you're not being stopped. The recognition is done while you walk from point A to B. And we only stop the people who do not have the access to actually be in there, right? So we reverse the process and take the stress out of your itinerary, in a way. But the problem with it is that for that to work at the airport, you need to have the, the, the airports on board. You need to have the airlines on board. You need to have duty-free people on board. You need to have banks on board because that they are the ones who actually provide you know, the payment systems uh, at the airport. Um, who else? You need to have the border control on board. You need to have uh, the tax uh, office at the at the airport on board. So you, all of these people who make up the single itinerary uh, of an experience, and that is not even enough. Like you, you basically talk to all the Finnish authorities and get them on board it, but uh, your journey doesn't end here. This is just the beginning. Then you go land somewhere. So we actually need to get the other airports and all these officials on board as well in order to provide you the consistent level of experience that you signed up for. So And then uh, don't forget you need the individuals involved who are going to receive the service, right? Because uh, sure. biometrics is uh, kind of troublesome that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, of course, when you start this kind of project, you have to have the, the, the basic assumptions that there is going to be a, a certain amount of people who will be receptive for this kind of services. Like That's the, the, the beginning assumption, and you validate through the topic but uh, yes um, uh, so definitely so you need to have all these uh, stakeholders on board and uh, it's it's just uh, you know it's a tall order I mean it's I'm not I'm not gonna say that it's impossible but um, I would respect the the, the, the the authority who's able to orchestrate that ecosystem and put something out there uh, very uh, rapidly so that's well, why what you're well you're illustrating though is that this isn't just about the technology at all, really. It's about orchestrating a number of, of actors, which I guess brings me to, you know, what are the promising industries where you're starting to see some of this happening or where you think in the next decade that we'll see it? So, I mean, is it fair to say that, you know, um, I don't know, let's just say construction industry, manufacturing, these are sort of uh, fairly concrete uh, sort of industries where there, at least historically, are a lot of manual actions taking place. But then you also brought in sort of consulting and there's many, many other aspects of consulting where not only could you suggest things, you know, regardless of industry, just because you think you might have a solution to it. But uh, but there might be some application in consulting in and of itself, uh, perhaps. And w- what are some, some of the industries that you find promising? Or, or do you not really look at it in an industry lens? It, you just, you have to look at the individual uh, kind of task to be done in more than you're looking at the overall industry. Of course, I mean, this is this is uh, uh, about like the level of impact uh, you are uh, about to make or you are willing to make. Um, we have done, as I said, like uh, looking at individual players who own from uh, beginning to end uh, several processes. We work with banks to create facial recognition payments, for example, um, where basically we didn't need to you know, bring on board another stakeholder um, everything is handled by the, the uh, individual organization that is part of it. We created um, vending machines uh, that are using computer vision and, and, and uh, facial recognition to recognize the objects, to recognize the individual and 
basically the interaction is similar to what you have with your own fridge. But then we have done that in the retail space where we uh, uh, have the, the our partner, our client, have the, the control over whatever is happening in the in the physical space. So. If, if the goal is to uh, create uh, these uh, single applications and uh, see basically like uh, what is the the, the future where uh, as a company providing these services you should go or as the the recipient of the service like the, the client what should I do with this uh, these technologies these trends that are happening uh, this might be the, the the first thing to basically determine and actually start taking an action for so uh, that would be the first question what 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 is the goal but of course. The second question is, when you're looking for making a bigger impact, create radical innovations based on these big trends and technologies that are coming uh, into our life, then we are looking at something else. We're not looking just, uh, as you said, it's not just technology uh, question or maturity question. It becomes uh, the, the dynamics of how businesses work. Um, well, see, this is what I was going to get to because, and I don't want to make fun of this, but, uh, but I know one of the examples that you g- gave me earlier was you were working for... A Norwegian client actually on a smart fridge, and you know that's that's not you know it's not a joke with the smart fridge. It could be useful, and and it is kind of one of these tropes of early technology visionary thinking where they were sort of oh yeah, what if we had a smart fridge that recognized what we put in and out? And I realize you've done an, actually done an experiment with it. You know, I, I don't want to make fun of it, but I want to use it just to sort of illustrate the fact that here we're talking about making an existing fairly mundane action, a slight bit more efficient, but not leaps and bounds. But I think, you know, what's really interesting is when you're using technology for a new and creating a a new emergent future where the action you're creating didn't exist before, right? So, I mean, in in the case of a traffic warden or in the case of a check-in agent, or even in the case of you getting some stuff in and out of your fridge, these are fairly mundane things and i would argue they don't change in any fundamental way by being digitized even if there is a zero ui so as much as i would love to have my fridge recognize you know my, my cheese when i put it in and out and you know how much milk so that i don't run out of milk my life wouldn't fundamentally alter but what are some of the things when you are thinking about this in more of a future uh, context. What are some of the things you think could emerge from this development that are slightly more earth-shattering than, you know, mechanizing your fridge? Yeah. Um, So, um, a a very good point. And um, I think um, one thing that needs clarification here is that, like, you know, uh, the the experimentation with these new technologies and these new ideas is uh, usually have a, a single top behind it, which is you know, clarifying the uncertainty. And uh, at the end of the day, a result of an experiment could be that, okay, this didn't create the value that we thought that it would uh, create. And that's a valuable result, which tells the company that, okay, maybe we shouldn't, you know, spend more resources into this piece of technology or this piece of trend. Uh, coming back to the um, second uh, question that you posed, I think uh, that is where, like, the, the, the point of, um, you know, changing a single interaction like with your fridge or like when you do a payment, the efforts in there uh, are usually coming short because I believe our experiences does not consist of single point of interactions. There's a beginning and there's an end. There's a before and after. So it's continuous, right? So uh, uh, that's why uh, we are struggling to create these earth-shattering radical innovations 
um, because companies are uh, have this focus of looking into the, the processes and things that they own and they can control. And that's where we get uh, uh, stuck at. I, I, I'm sure you've heard the, the, the famous quote for uh, Buzz Aldrin, which is that I've been promised Mars, but uh, all I have is now Facebook. Not saying that Facebook wasn't an important innovation, but the, 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 the point being is that this, this kind of mindset of you know, looking into the, the, your own influence sphere is one of the barriers to create these earth-shattering applications that you, you uh, mentioned. Yeah, I think that is very true, actually, uh, because you know, if you look at any current company, any current authority, even even government, and by the way, government, you know, could really benefit from these, uh, you know, these, uh, you know, making their interactions with their citizens slightly less uh, onerous, right? So, so there's a massive potential here in digital government. But but even for government, that really is for many people, you know, important in so many aspects of, of you know of our lives. It, it really is about creating a new context where you where you start collaborating in new ways because the technology makes new things possible. So, yeah, I, I guess coming up with these new applications is just gonna is it just gonna take experimentation then and, and time and is it is it a question of uh, you know, just innovation, uh, layering innovation upon innovation, or is there something fundamental here that you you personally are waiting for? I mean, is it the cost level of Google Glass, for instance? You know, uh, obviously it had a failed launch in the enterprise market, and I mean in the consumer market, it was a completely overblown idea that this interface was going to sort of take off in the consumer market. Yet it has made some inroads, you know, in, in enterprise. Um, are you working on hoping that these uh, other type of more immersive uh, interfaces are going to drop in price? Like, what what is the technology barrier here? Um, I think like working a lot with uh, different pieces of um, technology. What I have uh, come to realize that it's not at all a technology question. I mean, of course, I mean, Google Glass um, was a bit early uh, ahead of time and still the, the smart glass is like, you know, there is going to be attempts and there is already like kind of audio first glasses attempts uh, at the market, but uh, it's still, you know, getting there to be part of the, the consumer market. So for some technologies, uh, things are going to take uh, more time than others. But uh I think the, 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 the question is, how do we uh, encourage companies? How do we set structures? Uh, how do we set like rule of the game so that companies are more open to uh, collaborate and uh, think systemically instead of looking at singular processes that they have uh, they're owning? And especially in Finland, we see that this slowly uh, start to happen in the industries that are usually physical first. So I'm, I'm putting the, the digital uh, first uh, companies, big platforms aside for a second, for this argument's sake. And the reason for that, these companies, uh, like let's take uh, uh, Finland, for example, as, a, uh, as, a, as an example here that we talk about. Uh, Finland has a 100-year-old uh, industrial history. I mean, still 80% of the exports are manufacturing of physical goods. This means that we have a lot of companies here who have locked in procedures, uh, heavy investment on physical assets uh, that knows how to pro- like th- that has been optimized to the T to uh, manufacture a single thing precisely. So for these companies 
to basically start thinking about the, the, the new technologies and applications of it and then how can bring that, you know, new business layer on top. They need to hire uh, skills. They need to fund R&D. They need to make investment uh, in developing new services and product, like th- that digital expertise. And um, it, it isn't like from business point of view, for, from companies who are like uh, listed in the stock market who lives and dies every quarter. This is an impossible investment to make. And those are the but it's not just digital, though, like you pointed out. It's not just digital expertise, as in, like, if you hired a few smart grad students in in technology, you wouldn't get to where you want to get, right? It's a, it's really about creativity, and it's about combining some relationship to what you were doing in the past in your manufacturing firm with with some really radical opportunities to perhaps do completely different things. Yeah. Right. Because this is what you're talking about. When when this really is implemented, it could mean that you go from, I mean, famously, right, Nokia, they were uh, manufacturing, um, you know, shoes and uh, I, rain boots, basically, right? And and then they went to cell phones, right? I mean, it is actually akin to the Nokia move, right? The kinds of leaps and bounds, it, it, it is, you know, going from rain boots to cell phones is not very obvious. And I and I think what you're talking about is even more radical because it's maybe doesn't even involve manufacturing anymore, right? It could be that the expertise that the company had is best applied in a completely different domain. For sure. I mean, a good example for this is uh, like the the early signs of this happening here is the construction industry. I mean, it's a it's a zero sum game. It has been a zero sum game construction industry for a good while because it's basically the, either you win that particular construction project or the other. So it's like a competition uh, that doesn't generate you know new markets, new overall value, but just compete for the resources. So what is happening here is that. Um, um, they started to actually stop thinking construction as uh, you know a thing that a construction company builds, and then uh, the subcontractor comes put the elevator, and then the other company brings in the sensor. They started to look at the, the whole picture. What is the whole value chain that we're delivering here? And we have uh, a government-supported uh, uh, ecosystem here. is called Keko, K E K O. Uh, that's how you how you spell it, and. Uh, they are basically looking at uh, the seven big companies who are operating in building ecosystem. These are people flow companies. These are sensor companies. These are construction companies. Uh, these are technology providers, IT companies. They put together their resources, data assets, uh, APIs together to see the big picture. Like what other value that we can provide? What living experiences by putting together other uh, data so- uh, sources and assets together? What kind of new living experiences that we can create that doesn't exist yet? And this is uh, for any single company in this ecosystem to do this. It is, as I say, it comes back to what I told you as an example of a manufacturing company. You know, hiring all that talent, uh, spotting all these opportunities, and building every single block that leads to that value proposition. It's just a massive uh, investment, and uh, it hasn't been done. It's not going to be uh, uh, done. So that's why now companies looking at where can we create these ecosystem thinking, uh, where the output of the ecosystem is much bigger than any of the individual stakeholders of that ecosystem. Uh, can uh, actually create. So this brings me to the to the question. You know, a lot of what you're describing is 
as exciting as it is, it is slightly sort of nebulous concepts. What are the lighthouses that we should be looking at um, in terms of seeing this come to life? Are there startups that we should be looking at? Are there technology companies? Uh, I mean, obviously, tracking Google Glass and other AR technology. Are there corporations that are starting individual corporations where we can sort of where you foresee that this kind of thinking will emerge first, and we should look there? Uh, where should people who are interested in this, who want to track these opportunities, these trends? Or I mean, this is not even really a trend yet, right? It is, you know. Uh, these immersive things are kind of happening almost like mushrooming, you know, a little bit under the radar, actually. W- where should people look? Um, well, I mean, I think uh, I would maybe, um, like there are certain areas to look into and they uh, play different roles in this in this market and uh, how like they should be uh, looked at in terms of what is it that they bring or they take away from it. And uh, the first one is the, the, the drivers. So the, the drivers are like the, the context or the applications that is actually driving the development of these kind of technologies. And those are uh, the industries that I see that are, uh, heavily driving those is the, the autonomous driving and the, the smart home industry. So with especially autonomous driving, the meaning of being in the car is changing, right? It's from it's it's moving away from uh, doing like driving actively, paying attention to something, to you know doing something useful with your time in the car. And that's why I see that companies already heavily investing in sensors and edge computing technologies in order to uh, sense what is happening in the car and react to it proactively provide the services and information that the the individual needs uh, at the time of the need. And that is uh, bringing a lot of investment into the startups who are actually operating in this domain. A good example is, again, from Finland, um, there is a sensor company called Forceot or Force IoT. Um, uh, It's it's based in Tampere, and and, uh, they are manufacturing this paper-thin, stretchable, printed sensors. So... um, Basically, what they are effectively doing is providing the means to turn every single physical surface into a digital experience. And the automotive industry, not so surprisingly, is one of the biggest buyers where uh, we see these technologies coming into the console of the car to understand you know, how the interaction in the car works and how can we react um, to it. So... Um, so those companies are the drivers, hence they're also driving uh, where the, the investment goes in terms of what technology uh, develops. Of course, there's going to be some companies affected adversely or industries uh, going to be affected adversely from this development, which is one concrete example that comes to my mind is the healthcare. So uh, when we have uh, so much sensing technologies around us that are doing continuous sensing, uh, and, uh, and it's mobile, the, the you know, point of care type of, of uh, healthcare approach is going to be in one way or another uh, disrupted. I mean, we're already looking at, um, for example, take brain-computer interfaces, uh, which you use for, uh, you have used for medical purposes at controlled environment and clinics in hospital to, uh, you know, sense certain uh, brain signals like EEG, for example. We started to see, like you know, commercial application, end-user applications of it. It's uh, measuring your sleep, measuring your stress level, measuring how your meditation goes. So these uh, devices are 
measuring constantly like vital health data. And uh, already we are seeing some signs of uh, from uh, industry, how to healthcare industry, how to actually incorporate this this data that is uncontrolled. It's it's not you know from a controlled environment. How can we get that data and make use out of it? Uh, is it in uh, research? Uh, can it be used, for example, before you go to the hospital? You know, without you coming to the hospital, we can judge if you're ready for uh, surgery or not. You know, you don't need to. We don't need to book you a slot. We just follow you at your home with your device for five days, and if you see that. It's, it's not working well for you. We automatically postpone the things and save a lot of money while doing so. So uh, obviously the healthcare is one of the, the industries that I believe uh, going to be um, affected by this as the um, kind of like on the, on the disrupted, disrupted stakeholder end if uh, we don't you know, react rapidly. All right. Well, on that note, this is these are interesting prospects, uh, uh, Truberg. I think we have covered a, a lot of ground. It seems like this area is going to evolve, perhaps rapidly, but it's going to also unfold slightly surprisingly and and with kind of ebbs and flows. It doesn't seem like there's not. We're not waiting for one thing here. It, we're we're kind of looking at an emergent phenomenon, and like you pointed out, these ecosystems will will have to evolve. Um, and they're going to create interesting winners and, and losers. I thank you so much for laying this out for us. And uh, best of luck in your continuous innovation efforts. Thank you. It was my pleasure. You have just listened to episode 72 of the Futurized podcast with host Ronarne Unheim, futurist and author. The topic was the zero user interface experience. Our guest was Tuberk Dumont, head of innovation at Futurist, the Finnish consultancy. In this conversation, we talk about why thinking about a world beyond the screen and about the invisible user interface where natural gestures such as body movements, perhaps even thoughts, trigger interactions. We look at current examples making use of Alexa, Google Home, Siri, Cortana or Google Glass, experiments and trends in UI design and design thinking, the inspirations and the components that go into it, including chatbots, biometrics, computer vision, and new ecosystem business models. And we look at emerging use cases and the surprising industries that are the first adopters. Now, also, what happens in the next decade? What will happen next to Zero UI and in which sequence? My takeaway is that whilst it would be nice to think that we are there, we in fact have a ways to go before we reach the ultimate Zero user interface experience. Having said that, the world beyond the screen is desperately needed as we reel from coronavirus-induced work fatigue. The surprising thing is that it's not really the technology that's stopping us. It's our imagination. We would be fully capable of coming up with compelling user interfaces already today using existing technologies if we only knew how. Thanks for listening. If you like this topic, you may enjoy other episodes of Futurized, such as episode 30 on artificial general intelligence, episode 51, which is on the AI for learning, episode 16 on perception AI, episode 49 on living the future of work, episode 35 on how 5G and AR might revolutionize communication, episode 47 on how to invest in sci-fi tech, episode 54 on the future of AR, and episode 31 on the future of commoditized robotics. Futurized, preparing you to deal with disruption.